Okay, welcome to episode two of the Earwig Review. This is September 4th, and let's see what posts we have this week. Going back to all the way up to 631, starting at August 28th, we've got two single posts and then a four part from August 30th to September 2nd, the Nimbus the Squid series, four part series. Okay, Lemon, this is our last Sunday's post, August 28th. It's called Lemon Atrophy of a Single Dog Lemon. Lemon Atrophy of a Single Dog Lemon. I was washing my hands earlier in the bathroom. I was thinking of lemon something, but I can't remember what. And now I'm staring at an empty laundry basket, unable to remember the word. I almost laughed when I thought of it. It seemed funny. I thought of changing my name to lemon something, but I can't remember the word now. After I wash my hands, I sharpen the kitchen knife, I scrub down the steel pans. I cooked fish and rice, it turned out great, but I am suffering now of lemon atrophy. The book I am reading now has a small picture of a penguin on it. You would recognize the penguin. You have seen him before. It is strange. It seemed that someone took a match and burned his stomach in a tiny circle. I would say that the penguin too is suffering from lemon atrophy of a single dog lemon. That was August 28th, Lemon Atrophy of a Single Dog Lemon. Next up, Alvin is Dead, August 29th. Sorting through the frisbee box, searching for one that flies best. There's a message I must deliver to a guy who can only be reached by Frisbee. He lives in a strange tin box that is surrounded 
by a massive ditch. There's a tiny mail slot in his door. That is where you need to launch the frisbee. And if you miss, the frisbee falls into the massive ditch. He has no email or telephone. The message I have to tell him is that his cousin is dead. His cousin was the one who asked me to tell him before he died. I just write, Alvin is dead on the frisbee and toss it over the gap. I haven't been able to get the frisbee in there. I've tried four times. I'm getting sick of making the drive out there. It's 40 minutes out of town. If this frisbee doesn't work, I'm going to buy as many as I can from the dollar store, and I'll just huck them, one after another, writing Alvin is dead, again and again. And if I don't get it, then that's it. I've got other things to do than toss frisbees at a tin box. Alvin is dead. August 29th. Okay, Nimbus the Squid, part one, from August 30th. What can be known of the squid who is standing atop the tables? Starting again, Nimbus the Squid. What can be known of the squid who is standing atop the tablets? Usually, he is sitting at his keyboard, testing shortcuts. He has pressed command in every letter. He is trying to find a function that no one has ever found before. He is the desert squid who lives in a cave. He lives on his own. He lives among the clouds. He has been away from the ocean for so long that he goes by the name Nimbus now. His name is Nimbus the Squid. He is disgruntled, he's disgruntled and is disproving of many lifestyles. Most people who have met him hate him, and he wishes they didn't. He cares deeply what others think, but he does not know how to act in a way that is redeemable. He does not know how to act in a way that is forgivable. Still, he sits at his keyboard and stands with his tablets, trying to discover a function that no one has ever found before. I know the state wants to execute him. I know they want his head in the guillotine. I know they want to decapitate him with a cleaver. But I think by the time they find him, they will be unable to. He will have found the keyboard function that will transform him into a nimbus cloud. Okay, I'm gonna read that again. Fan, now taken off. Okay, going back and reading Nimbus the Squid, part one. What can be known of the squid who is standing atop the tablets? Usually, he is sitting at his keyboard, testing shortcuts. 
He has pressed command and every letter. He's trying to find a function that no one has ever found before. He's the desert squid who lives in a cave. He lives on his own. He lives among the clouds. He has been away from the ocean for so long that he goes by the name Nimbus now. His name is Nimbus the Squid. He is disgruntled and disproving of many lifestyles. Most people who have met him hate him, and he wishes they didn't. He cares deeply what others think, but he does not know how to act in a way that is redeemable. He does not know how to act in a way that is forgivable. Still, he sits at his keyboard and stands with his tablets, trying to discover a function that no one has ever found before. I know the state wants to execute him. I know they want his head in the guillotine. I know they want to decapitate him with a cleaver. But I think that by the time they find him, they will be, they will be unable to. He will have found the keyboard function that will transform him into a Nimbus cloud. Okay. That was Nimbus the Squid 1. Now let's find out the story of Nimbus the Squid 2. Nimbus the Squid was found on the side of the road. He was found passed out next to a pylon. It seemed that he was hit by some vehicle or another. He is in the hospital now, resting. He hasn't said a word since he's been there. Everyone has asked him what happened, but he won't say. This guy named Stuart said he was worried that Nimbus was trying to get hit by the truck and that Nimbus was trying to end his life. I asked Stuart how he knew it was a truck and Stuart said that he didn't know. He just assumed it was. I nodded and thought about what he said. The truth was, I had the same thought. I know that Nimbus would never go to the road for anything. At times I think that if Nimbus wanted to get himself killed, then there would have been no stopping him. And other times I think that if I would have tried to talk to him more, he wouldn't have done it. It's possible that Nimbus got hit by accident or even that someone was after him. Someone might have tried to assassinate him. We don't know the truth of it. I don't know if there will be justice for Nimbus. I don't know if he even cares about justice. One thing I learned from Nimbus a long time ago is that sometimes it was an act of defiance to love what you do. It was a sentiment I appreciated and I suppose that even if he did try to end his life, it did not make it untrue. Let's see. I'm going to put the fan back on because it drowns out all that extra sound. Maybe it's distracting, but... can hear everything 
get sucked into the fan. Okay, let me read Nimbus the Squid too again. I feel like I got lost in it. Hearing some sound of the house, things going on outside. And it doesn't need to be totally quiet, but my thoughts went elsewhere. And I don't know if you can hear on the other end when that happens. I don't know if, if it's possible to tell what makes a better reading of something like this when I'm thinking of the words that are actually going on instead of saying them and thinking of something else and being distracted. I assume that it does, but you never know. So I got my fan here, different fan than last week. We move some things around, but this fan I like quite a bit. Okay. Nimbus the Squid Part 2 Nimbus the Squid was found on the side of the road. He was found passed out next to a pylon. It seemed that he was hit by some vehicle or another. He's in the hospital now resting. He hasn't said a word since he's been there. Everyone has asked him what happened, but he won't say. This guy named Stuart said he was worried that Nimbus was trying to get hit by the truck and that Nimbus was trying to end his life. I asked Stuart how he knew it was a truck and Stuart said that he didn't know. He just assumed it was. I nodded and thought about what he said. The truth was I had the same thought. I know that Nimbus would never go to the road for anything. At times I think that if Nimbus wanted to get himself killed, then there would have been no stopping him. And at other times, I think that if I would have tried to talk to him more, he wouldn't have done it. It's also possible that Nimbus got hit by accident, or even that someone was after him. Someone might have tried to assassinate him. We don't know the truth of it. I don't know if there will be tr justice for Nimbus. I don't know if he even cares about justice. One thing I learned from Nimbus a long time ago was that sometimes it was an act of defiance to love what you do. It was a sentiment I appreciated, and I suppose that even if he did try to end his life, it did not make it untrue. Okay, that was better. I like that better. Okay, let's go. Moving to... September 1st, Nimbus the Squid Part 3. When Nimbus was released from the hospital, he returned to his cave. I went to visit him, and at first he didn't want to talk to me. He was walking down the mountain, holding his tablets. I kept following him and trying to get him to talk, but he wouldn't. Finally, he asked me what the hell I wanted. I told him that I just wanted to check in. He said that since he was in the hospital, everyone suddenly wanted to talk to him. 
So I shut up and I stopped bugging him. I was heading back to my car and he told me to wait. He admitted that the reason he ended up on the road was because of a keyboard shortcut that he found. It teleported him there. He told me that he didn't want to share the shortcut because it was dangerous, but maybe one day he would. Nimbus was a lot of things, but he wasn't a liar. It meant something that he trusted me with that. I asked him what he was up to now, and he said he was going down the mountain to smash the tablets. I asked him why, and he said that after figuring out the shortcut, he realized that everything he knew was a lie, and he needed to start from scratch. I nodded and stood there. Neither of us were sure what to say. He asked what I was up to, and I told him I didn't know exactly. I asked him if it was okay if I watched him smash the tablet, and he said yes, that it was. So I followed him to the bottom of the mountain, and then he tossed them on the ground and smashed them to bits, and now they are conclusively busted. I'm glad I went to see Nimbus that day. And last, Nimbus the Squid, part four, September 2nd. I've spent a lot of time reflecting on my time with Nimbus the Squid. I'm not sure if I've come to any conclusions. I'm not sure there was any wisdom to be gained. I sat in my chair and noticed that the plastic thing was still pierced in my sock. I pulled it out and tossed it in the trash. I hadn't realized that Nimbus took an oath of poverty. He put all his money into a shoebox and left it on his neighbor's porch. In a way, it was a noble thing to do, and in a way, it wasn't noble at all. I went to the store and bought a pack of socks. I brought them to Nimbus's place and left them outside where he would find them. I wasn't sure if I was doing him a favor or why I did it really. I felt guilty afterward, and I'm unsure why. But I will say that I've always respected Nimbus no matter what was going on. I always got the impression that he was being true. That's part one through four of Nimbus the Squid. Alvin is dead. And the first post I read was lemon atrophy of a single dog lemon. I like the Nimbus the Squid story. There's a part of me that wants to go in there and tweak it and refine it, but it's not how this works. I think when I first started it, I'm looking back at Nimbus the Squid part one. I don't know where I, it occurred to me to think of the tablets in the beginning 
It says, what can be known of the squid who is standing atop the tablets? I guess it's just a strange image of a squid standing with some tablets. And then he's trying to figure out a new keyboard shortcut. He doesn't know what it's going to do, but he's, he's searching for some something new that way. We find out he's a desert squid, and he lives in a cave. And he lives up a mountain. So he's this squid who's on top of a mountain, and he has these tablets, but he's using his computer keyboard to try to find a new shortcut find something new I like that I like that as a premise I don't know if it's um, I don't know if I think that it's funny or if I think there's any truth to it I don't really think it's either of those things And there's a strangeness, strangeness to it, but it just kind of comes from, uh, I don't know, from um, my life. So he's there with his tablets trying to figure things out on his keyboard. And as I break it down, I guess I kind of understand a bit more of where this is coming from, the writing process and tweaking with these keyboards and um, this idea of, you know, these tablets of maybe what we know is true, what our ethics are, what was kind of written in stone before us, we were kind of born into. And I think there's this idea of the, we have the squid who's living outside of the ocean, who's living high up on a mountain. So, you know, he's out of out of place here. And I, what I like about Nimbus the squid, what I think. after I kind of established that beginning there, it goes on to say, he is disgruntled and disproving of many lifestyles. Most people who have met him hate him. He wishes they didn't. He cares deeply what others think. He does not know how to act in a way that is redeemable. He does not know how to act in a way that is forgivable. I think that was, I liked writing that. I think that's funny, but also um, those thoughts linger and don't usually find a, uh, a home 
also kind of treat Nimbus as as a uh, the hero of our story and know that he's this disgruntled kind of outsider I think that that it's a fun start and he and he cares what people think and he and they don't like him but he doesn't know how to fix it so I think that that's probably why I ended up writing about him for f for four days for four different posts. I thought that dynamic was interesting. And even despite all this, he still sits at his keyboard and stands with his tablets trying to figure out a function that no one has ever found before. And then it goes on and says... The state wants to execute him and know they want his head in the guillotine. They want to decapitate him with a cleaver. So his fate is a squid. It's, he's uh, it's set in stone. He is a squid after all. But also, we know that he's not a great guy in the eyes of the world. But there's but I and then it says but I think that by the time they find him they will be unable to he will have found the keyboard function that will tr transform him into a nimbus cloud so he's trying to transcend his life is a squid he wants to become a cloud so looking closer at this one I think there's a kind of a basic um kind of spiritual component to um, to this character how do you live in the world knowing you've you fucked up but still you're trying to move up the the spiritual hierarchy or you know grow in some some way so that's Nimbus 1 and then in part 2 we find out he was found on the side of the road passed out next to a pylon and the narrator here doesn't really know what, it, what happened to him it says it seemed like he was hit by a vehicle but apparently it was kind of a hit and run and he's in the hospital now. And people, the narrator and this guy Stuart, among others, presumably have come to visit Nimbus in the hospital. And it seemed like it was odd for him to go down to the road, the narrator says. I know that Nimbus would never go to the road for anything. And then they begin to consider him and the narrator and Stuart. If Nimbus was trying to end his life. Because they know he lives alone. And he's away from his from everything. 
So he's very disconnected, and it's almost that's the um, the risk he's taking. It's the workplace hazard of of what he's doing. So sitting around trying to discover something new on his keyboard remaining with his with his tablets with his ethics there's the risk of being disconnected and how those things seem to get intertwined they seem aware of it even if they don't know if it's either the fact of the matter and he, he considers the other possibilities maybe it was an accident maybe someone was after him and the, and the narrator feels guilty thinking they could have helped what could have they have done so they know that they know what's they've assumed that he, he went down to the road and maybe got in front of that car and he says he, the narrator says I don't know if there will be justice for Nimbus I don't know if he even cares about justice I thought that was funny one thing I learned from Nimbus a long time ago is that sometimes it was an act of defiance to love what you do it was a sentiment I appreciated, and I suppose that even if he did try to end his life, it did not make it untrue. So maybe there's people you've known that uh, lost their lives early, and sometimes um, you think back on all of the what what they stood for, what they kind of how you thought that they were, and it, there's kind of a moment where. And that almost feels tarnished by their passing if it happened and depending on how they did pass and I think the sentiment here is that regardless of how he how he died that was one thing but it didn't affect doesn't need to change how his life was before what he stood for difficult to articulate but I think I think it should come across so the the narrator expresses that you start to see that he that he cared about this guy Nimbus even though he was a difficult person when Nimbus was released from the hospital this is part three he returned to his cave and the narrator says I went to visit him and at first he didn't want to talk to me He's walking down the mountain holding the tablets. I kept following him and trying to get him to talk, but he wouldn't. Finally, he asked me what the hell I wanted. I told him that I just wanted to check in. He said that since he was in the hospital, everyone suddenly wanted to talk to him. So I shut up and stopped bugging him. I was heading back to my car and he told me to wait. And here's the uh, where things change a bit. Nimbus says that the reason he ended up on the road was because of, of the keyboard shortcut he found. It teleported him there. He told me that he didn't want to share the shortcut because it was dangerous, but maybe one day he would. 
So. Nimbus didn't try to end his life, in fact. He'd figured out something. He'd accomplished something with his work. And where did it get him? And he ended up in the hospital. So his reward was um, unclear. The narrator says, Nimbus was a lot of things, but he wasn't a liar. It meant something that he trusted me with that. I asked him what he was up to now, and he said he was going down the mountain to smash the tablets. I asked him why, and he said that after figuring out the shortcut, he realized that everything he knew was a lie, and he needed to start from scratch. So, his ethics have been changed. Something about his work has pushed him forward and made him realize that he needed to start again. And then the narrator asks him if he can watch him smash the tablets. Nimbus says he's going to smash the tablets, and the narrator says, yes, can I come and watch? And then he confirms that Nimbus, Nimbus destroyed them. And in the end, it ended up being a fruitful visit. He's glad he went to see him. So can kind of see the decent way of attaching it back to the beginning. I can't, when I, when it's written the next day, I, I don't go back and look at the first and the second one and, and refresh my mind of the details. I, it's kind of a risk, but I just want to trust what's in my memory with it. And it's connecting pretty well. I'm, I'm actually, uh, It's an interesting thing. How it kind of lingers in your mind is, you know, when you're writing from a place that's not always um, that logical, and it's and it's very um, random and on the spot and following your intuition and being weird. Kind of, you know, risking. Um, sounding like a sounding crazy and writing ridiculous things I think it's nice to see that maybe it connects after all maybe there's some intelligence there or something interesting there um, when you kind of let go and just and go in that route which is what these are often all about for the most part. Translating some kind of emotional direction, you know, which uh, it's maybe is the, the name of the game. Okay, let's break down Nimbus the Squid 4. Spent a lot of time reflecting on what Nimbus said. I'm not sure I have come to any conclusions. So that felt that was a satisfactory thing to write. A lot of the time the story ends. You're looking for some reason, something interesting. Why why did we go through this? And I thought 
having the narrator be unclear as to what it was all about was um, was fun. I'm not sure if there was any wisdom to be gained. I sat in my chair and noticed that the plastic thing was still pierced in my sock. I pulled it out and tossed it in the trash. The I hadn't realized that Nimbus took an oath of poverty. So the guilt still has remained with him. And almost as an act of charity, this the narrator wants to give Nimbus the a new pack of socks that he can have. And He isn't sure if it's the right thing to do. He's kind of unsure if Nimbus would want that charity. If someone was to take um, an oath of poverty, then maybe you'd assume they don't they don't want charity necessarily. So he feels guilty. But he's, he's trying to help, and I think he's trying to communicate with Nimbus. And he says at the end... So he, does, he leaves them there. He doesn't bring them to Nimbus directly. He just puts them outside of Nimbus's place. And then he says... That he's always respected Nimbus, no matter what was going on. He always got the impression that he was being true. And that's, in the end, I think, why... Nimbus is the are the hero of the story. So that was that's Nimbus. Alvin is dead. The one written before Nim the Nimbus series of four was was also fun i think it it in a way feels like a precursor to to the nimbus story it's really this guy who's answering his friends um final wish on his deathbed to let him know that this recluse who lives in the middle of this pit can only be reached by frisbee if you get it into a tiny mail slot in his door it seems like a really difficult thing to do but that's the only way he accepts communication and his cousin wanted him to know that he had died and so the the narrator of this story is just standing with the box of frisbees that he they got from the dollar store and he's just writing over alvin is dead on them and throwing them trying to get it inside of this mail slot inside of this tin box where this guy lives to let him know that his cousin had died and he's getting frustrated because he's, he has better things to do so you know he's trying to do the right thing and answer this final wish of this of his friend Alvin who had died and tell his cousin but eventually that's it and people die and you move on and that 
is I think the the subtext of of this whole thing. So that's a it was a I think more fun idea. And I think that Nimbus came this kind of unlocked this idea of I guess communicating with this recluse and, and Nimbus just feels like a uh another version of this kind of a thing. And then the first one, Lemon Atrophy of a Single Dog Lemon, I think it's, I end up doing a lot of these ones where the wor the combination of the words are, they're just images that seem to look a certain way or the words sound a certain way that seems satisfying. It's almost uh, beyond explanation, beyond logic, obviously. That's, you know, this is the place for that kind of thing. Harder to get away with in anywhere else, even in prose. I find the, I keep kind of editing these things out. This is really the place for it, if ever a place. Um, just kind of, you know, acting on that compulsion to uh, make a mess of an experiment with our, ver our vernacular, the words that we use, and arrange them in some kind of new way um, and seeing if it unlocks a um, kind of a new idea. So I'm immediately I think of the, the Nimbus keyboard shortcut. I really, before breaking it down, I, I didn't have an understanding of what that was. And I'm seeing a direct line now as to this whole process sitting and writing these things every day and that how that translated into the Nimbus the Squid story. So this phrase, lemon atrophy of a single dog lemon. The narrator is, is washing their hands, thinking of a lemon something being un unable to remember what. And I think this is, um, I'm remembering where this came from. I was on a walk and I thought of the phrase lemon something. It just popped in my head at random and I thought it was funny. I thought, and I, and I knew that it, there was no joke to it. It was just like lemon something and and it just kind of hit uh, something that I, I don't know, I thought was funny. And then I, and then I let it go. It wasn't like, oh, I got to remember this or anything. It just in and out. I was like, ah, oh, that I almost laughed at a random thought that passed through my head. And that was in the, earlier. And then I, when I went to write it, it occurred to me again. I was like, oh, there was something funny about a lemon earlier. And 
that's what what's trying to go on here it says I, I almost laughed when I thought of it it seemed funny I thought of changing my name to lemon something but I can't remember the word now I wa after I wash my hands I sharpen the kitchen knife I scrub down the steel pans I cook fish and rice it's living living your life normally cooking washing your hands having this random thought and then it goes on and says the book I'm reading now had a small picture of a penguin on it you would recognize the penguin you've seen him before it is strange it seemed that someone took a match and burned his stomach in a tiny circle I would say that the penguin is suffering from a lemon atrophy of a single dog lemon the the book that I was talking about was one that I got from a little library that I was walking near when I thought of the lemon thing originally. So that's the connection I'm realizing. I remember, so I was on a walk, thought of this weird lemon thing wasn't even a, necessarily a real thought. I almost thought it was funny. Forgot about it. Then remembered that I forgot. And then remembered where I had the thought. And then was reminded of a book I got another day from that particular place in the world. You, in the, my usual walking route that I do almost every day drawing that connection trying to timestamp it and I think the point of this one is that it I think I've had a recently I've felt that things haven't been funny enough in my life not the things that happened in my life, but the level of comedy or the level of joke telling that I'm experiencing, I'm missing something that I used to be around more. And I think that's, that's where this is coming from. So that was the week in posts and it wasn't I think it's actually pretty good and looking back at them like this and kind of analyzing them actually um, was good to do that was that was helpful and interesting to me when I first sit down to to start talking and, and doing this really feel like I'm just walking into a kind of the uh, um, into a cloud here no idea which way is up so it's nice through reading them through talking about them I feel um, more clear train of thought as to how the mind wanders through the week through these things Um, I wanted to read an excerpt 
from one of the stories I'm working on. This one's called Untitled Detective Story. There's been many versions of this, I think. This is one of the more difficult things I've tried to write. And I'm happy with how long I've been able to stick with it. Usually, having spent this long on a project and having gone through so many iterations that are so drastic from one another, I would have gotten frustrated and left it behind. But somehow I've been able to to get to um, to this place with it. And um, I, I thought... I knew it was ambitious. I thought I would be able to finish this edit by the end of this week. Um, I finished all the structural edits and got the story into a great place. And that was kind of the... That was the... The... The big thing of the week. And then I got... I think that happened on... Thursday, maybe end of Wednesday, and then I got a bit greedy and thought maybe I could do a whole polish of, of this and post it, repost it on online and call it done by the end of the week. So I, I kind of hit my first goal and then I got greedy and changed that goal and tried to push it till the end of the week. I got about halfway through just over halfway through one of those a polish edit where I read it out loud and change everything and make sure it's flowing in a way that I'm happy with. So it's pretty good. And definitely by midweek I feel confident that I'll have that sorted out. And then I think I can leave this project behind call it finished in a way that I'm, I'm happy with number of reasons why it was difficult but probably the most prominent is writing in the detect detective genre is something that's difficult for when you've never done it before I think it's um, it's, it's a really specialized genre and you may have you know I've really watched a lot of detective movies but never in a way that I felt like I would ever try to write one it seemed very intimidating and it still for sure is yet there's so much I think procedural knowledge that a person needs to have to to do this in a lot of ways that I that I don't have but I, but I kept going for it, and I found a, a way to make it work. So I'm not going to read the first. I have this kind of a short first chapter. I'm not going to read that. I want to just read a bit of the second chapter that introduces us to the protagonist. And I'm going to read... A little farther and I'll see 
I'll find a natural kind of ending spot. Maybe I'll just read the these two sections. So it won't be that long, but I'll, I want to see what it's like to read some kind of work in progress prose stuff in this format as well. See how it's different than the posts that I read earlier. Okay, so this is the beginning of chapter two. And note that this is all subject to change. I may change this. This might become a part of chapter one. This might go to three, blah, blah, blah. This will all be changed in no time. But this is the current iteration of um, this, this part. So, two. Moskowitz drove along the highway towards the woods. The trees were jagged in the horizon. He thought that, in a way, they looked like the teeth of a bear trap. Like at any moment, they could snap closed and swallow the sky. He caught a glimpse of his pudgy face in the rear-view mirror. As usual, deep, deep bags had formed under his eyes. He drank what was left of his coffee and sprayed some fluid onto the windshield. The motel parking lot was nearly empty when he got there. He exited the car, carrying all of the fast food wrappers he accumulated on the way up. He stuffed it all into a trash can on the way in. He leaned over the counter as the receptionist copied his credit card info into the computer. She had dye blonde hair and small features. Her name tag was pinned through her shirt pocket. It said Julie. We got a continental breakfast here, she said. Moskowitz nodded. Bananas, oranges, fruits like that. Packets of oatmeal and cereal, the little boxes, frosted flakes, corn pops, rice krispies, and there's a waffle maker too. How long does that go until? he asked. Ten, she said, and looked at the clock behind her. Let me go back. Ten, she said. He looked at the clock behind her. It was 11.30. In another life, I'd offer to sneak you something, but we've got cameras installed now, she said. Well, I appreciate the thought. She handed him a room key along with his credit card and his ID. He saw a large diamond ring on her finger. Where's good to get a bite to eat around here then? He asked. Well, depends what you're in the mood for. You want a sit-down meal or something quick? Something quick would do. She studied his face and slowly began to nod. I know, she said. She took a paper mat from the desk and put it in front of him. She drew directions onto it as she spoke. You're going to want to take Highway 7 into town. Okay. And then go down to Maine. Right. Follow to Walnut and take another right. Uh-huh. And then you'll see this place. She drew a circle onto the map. They'll make you a sandwich as big as your head. For me, I can make it last two meals. You're going to love it. All right. Appreciate that, he said. Can I ask you something? Uh-huh. I noticed your badge. He nodded. Are you a city cop? I am. A detective? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, are you here on business? I suppose. To solve a crime? Yep. Is it a bad one? You could say so. Wow. That's exciting. I mean... 
Not that something bad happened, but, um, you know. She looked embarrassed. I know, he smiled. Well, if there's anything else I can do to help, just let me know, okay? She said. She saw him look at her ring again. She blushed and quickly covered it with her other hand. Thank you. He knocked his fist onto the counter and headed back to the parking lot. And, um, detective? He turned back. Yeah? Good luck out there, she said. He nodded and took off. Susan stood at the till. And watched the butcher closely while he while he bagged her order. There was a large band-aid angled on her forehead. Where do you get a knife like that? She asked the butcher. You looking for a butcher's knife? Just curious. Well, tell you what, a couple places. Some of the box stores have them, but I always go see Alvin at Rooster's Camping Supply. You know the place? She nodded. A little more expensive than the box stores, but less of a drive. I know Alvin's not getting rich off it anyway. He finished bagging her order. Thanks, she said. Anytime. She left and the butcher walked to the end of the deli fridge. He opened a container of mustard and looked inside of it. Moskowitz entered, holding a yellow envelope. He looked at all the meats behind the glass as the butcher swirled the mustard with the spatula. After it seemed like Moskowitz had come to a decision, the butcher rinsed the mustard off his hand and said, How are we doing? Moskowitz took a photograph from the envelope and put it onto the counter. It was Nicole's high school graduation photo. She looked egregiously happy. She looked familiar to you, Moskowitz said. The butcher adjusted his glasses and looked closely at the photo. He noticed Moskowitz's badge. My dad was law enforcement, the butcher said. Was he? Uh-huh. Sorry to hear that, Moskowitz said. The butcher smiled. Means I should know better than getting involved in this kind of thing. As soon as I opened my damn mouth. She gone missing or what? Yeah, Moskowitz said. At first glance, I'd say she resembles my cousin, Penelope. But that's not her. Resembles her somewhat, though. Moskowitz put the photo back into the envelope. How's the pastrami? Worth the detour if nothing else, the butcher said. All right, give me a sandwich with that. The butcher nodded. He took the pastrami and propped it up onto the scale. You go down to Water Street? No. End of the road. Take a left. Head to Maine. Keep going. You'll see it. Making a Disneyland of it all. If I was you, that's where I'd look. Moskowitz nodded. You want mustard? Sure. The butcher banged the mustard spout onto the counter and poured it along the bread. Okay, so there's two sections right there from Untitled Detective Story. An upcoming draft that I'm feeling pretty good about. And... Eventually, I'll do a full ebook of it, and um, maybe sooner, maybe next week or the week after, 
like sometime soon in the near future. Next week, I'll finish that. And then I have time to start working on some new stuff so I can move out of this. I've been in a long editing phase with all this prose stuff, trying to get it under control and get it all to a place where I'm, I'm good with. And that's feeling pretty close. And then I'll, so I have those, I have five stories. And those are all feeling, once this is done, those are all in good shape. Then I'll start recording them in, in full as audiobooks. And as I do that, I'll be writing new stuff that uh, I'm quite excited about. So hopefully that'll start going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll be in writing new stuff. Which, in a way, is always fun, it's exciting. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's more difficult than editing. They, I'm really... They both are tough, and I'm trying to merge the process as much as I can. I think I spent a couple years there really dividing those two tasks, and maybe that's just the way it's got to be, but and that was, it was very helpful, but now I'm trying to find a way to merge them. Edit the stuff you wrote the day before write new stuff the next day edit everything you wrote the day before write new stuff kind of continue along i think where i where the wires start to cross or maybe where i'm where i get superstitious but also a point of curiosity and this, this has been going on for many years and I don't think it will ever stop, but when I was talking about the this Nimbus the Cloud series and that strange trust that you can kind of have in your imagination to continue on what matters and just hope the dots are connecting without and remaining on the creative side of the brain and just pushing forward, maybe you can get to more interesting and more authentic results than going back and overthinking things and, and going into your intellect and writing that way and having that kind of interrupt some of the strange new territory and maybe more authentic new territory than you would have got to otherwise. So, for some people, they write, I think they'd strive to write in different kind of ways. And for me, I think 
I'm, I really need to write the dumb things, the weird things that feel emotionally true, that really have no bearing in, that have seemingly no bearing in day-to-day -day life. And then, but then I still have the expectation of myself that when I finish it and ask other people to read it, that it will have the intelligence that is required or what's assumed, or what is expected for it to be, quote, good. I want your your writing to be good. But you don't want it to be boring. And when it's too good and when you overthink it too much, it becomes safe, predictable, all of that. And maybe that's true, and maybe it's a superstition. But those are kind of the, the two dynamics at play that I get looped into in maybe a form of procrastination from doing the actual work. So I, I think a lot of the time this over-intellectualizing maybe is necessary to process everything that's going on, but maybe it's a way of procrastinating. I believe that's also very, very much a possibility on my end. Form of procrastination, over-intellectualizing the process. One more thought on the matter. that I've forgotten. But that's okay. It'll come to me another time. Let's call it there. That was episode two of the Earwig Review. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.